Pete Carroll has officially lost a key member of his coaching staff. What does that mean for the Seahawks moving forward? And could that potentially mean that a certain big-name quarterback might be following him to the state of Florida? I'll be breaking it all down on our latest edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Happy Wednesday to all of our listeners. And as always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got some breaking news that we're going to hit on here on the show here in a few minutes and maybe some concerns that certain fans are echoing. I'll try to put a little bit of water on the flames in that regard. I'll be answering your questions with a special Wednesday mailbag and we'll continue our free agent primers looking on defense in the linebacker position. Will Cody Barton be back in 2023 and how much does Jordan Brooks's injury impact his status with the team moving forward? This episode is brought to you by Alderman Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise, this is the game for you. To download the game, just visit alderman-gm.com or look it up on the App Store. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Dave Canales has been making rounds, interviewing with multiple teams, the Seahawks quarterback coach hoping to land his first offensive coordinator job in the NFL. He has finally earned that much-deserved promotion. According to multiple sources, Canales will be joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their offensive coordinator. This is his first opportunity to be a play caller at the college or NFL level. The last time that he was a coordinator was when he began his coaching career at a high school in California. That does not mean that Canales has not been involved some, though, in game planning the offense for the Seahawks. He's been in Seattle ever since Pete Carroll arrived in 2010, 13 seasons as an assistant, was a receivers coach for a long time, has been a quarterback coach, a passing game coordinator, and then returned to quarterback coach this past season for the Seahawks and did a masterful job with Geno Smith. And that is the big reason why Canales has earned this opportunity. He had two interviews with the Baltimore Ravens earlier this offseason. They opted to go with Todd Monken coming from Georgia as their offensive coordinator instead with Canales being one of the finalists. With Monken not being an option for the Buccaneers, they went to their second option, which is Canales, who, again, has really heightened his standing among coaching candidates with the work that he's done at the quarterback position. And this isn't just about Geno Smith this season. You look at the numbers for Dave Canales quarterback since 2018, the first year that he became a quarterback coach for the Seahawks. From 2018 to 2021, Russell Wilson threw for almost 15,000 yards, had 131 passing touchdowns, 66.5% completion percentage, just 31 interceptions, a 106.3 passer rating, and also was a factor running the football with over 1,400 rushing yards. And Geno Smith, the last two seasons, the three spot starts in 2021, replacing an injured Wilson, obviously making the Pro Bowl this year. Almost 5,000 passing yards, 35 touchdowns, just 12 interceptions, near a 70% completion rate, and a 101.2 passer rating. He also made an impact on the ground. You look at those numbers. 
And it becomes very clear the impact that Dave Canales has had on the quarterbacks. And that's the big reason why he was such a hotly pursued candidate for an offensive coordinator position this year. He has been involved in Seattle's game planning under multiple coordinators, Brian Schottenheimer in 2020, as well as 2019 and 2018. And then the last two years, he has worked with Shane Waldron putting those game plans together. So while he has not been the play caller, he's done everything else involved with getting ready for games. And so again, this was a much earned opportunity for Canales and Pete Carroll's got to be fired up. It's obviously a big loss for the Seahawks they may decide to stay in-house with their replacement to fill that void at the quarterback coaching position or they may choose to go outside the box there's been a lot of coaches moving around a couple teams just hired head coaches so there's going to be a lot of coordinators and assistant coaches that are going to be going to Arizona and Indianapolis as they try to fill out those staffs as well so you might have to let the dust settle a bit before you do that if you're going to add a quarterback coach from the outside. But typically, Pete Carroll has liked to hire coaches internally and promote coaches. So I would anticipate that's probably the direction that the Seahawks are going to choose to go. And of course, the big question that many fans have been asking, rather than touch on this in the mailbag segment, let's include it here with this first segment. Geno Smith is going to be a free agent. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers need a quarterback. Tom Brady announcing his retirement. Now, maybe Brady will decide to come back again. I highly doubt it. I think this time it's legitimate. He's ready to walk away from the game. And if he does come back, I don't think it's going to be with the Buccaneers. It would be with another team. So they need a QB. Now Dave Canales is their offensive coordinator. That's immediately going to lend itself, lend itself to speculation that – Dave Canales is going to try to pursue Geno Smith and get him to come to Tampa Bay and play quarterback for the Buccaneers. Now, I have seen crazy things happen in the NFL, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is impossible because it's not. Tampa Bay could try to make a pitch, and maybe this is a case where the Buccaneers might be one of those rare teams that steps in and says, look, we are willing to match an offer for a franchise tag and give up two first round picks for Geno Smith because we want to bring him in. I think the likelihood of that happening is less than 1%. Teams just don't do that. But if the Buccaneers are sold on Geno Smith being their starting quarterback and Dave Canales is able to persuade the rest of the coaching staff in the front office that that's the direction they want to go, of course the Buccaneers could try to make a move there. Maybe the Seahawks do a franchise tag and trade. There are some options there, but all signs continue to point to Geno Smith staying in Seattle. And I don't think this one departure, as much as Dave Canales was involved in his in his ascendance this past season and coaching him up, I don't think that his departure is going to suddenly make Geno Smith not want to be in Seattle. And I don't think it's suddenly going to make the Seahawks hesitant to re-sign him or any more hesitant to re-sign him than it may be at the price point that he is likely looking for at 30 plus million dollars per season. So while again, I'm not going to say that it's impossible that Dave Canales could bring Geno Smith with him to Tampa Bay, the Seahawks control the cards there because they have the ability to use the franchise tag on Geno Smith and prevent him from hitting the market. Now that there is a clear team that may have interest, this is something that has been debated. Would there be any teams that would throw that kind of money at Geno Smith if he did hit the free agent market? I think Tampa Bay would strongly consider it with this addition of Dave Canales if the Seahawks allow him to hit the market. This does change that particular setup. But I don't see the Seahawks doing that. I still think they're going to try to get a multi-year deal. And if that doesn't come together, the franchise tag is there for the Seahawks at $32.4 million for the 2023 season. I would be very surprised if they let him hit the market and present an opportunity for the Buccaneers 
Buccaneers to even sign him. So I can understand the fears when you see a coach that directly worked with a player like Geno Smith go to another team for a promotion, become an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. That player may want to join. I understand that concern, but I think that fans can probably put the foots on the brake a little bit here. And I don't think you have to worry about this necessarily. Now, if the Seahawks let him hit the market, then that obviously creates a much different story. But at this point, I don't see that happening. The Seahawks are working behind the scenes to get him re-signed, and they have that franchise tag. Very unlikely that he ends up playing in another uniform this season unless they decide to do a franchise tag trade. Maybe the Buccaneers would end up in a discussion like that, but they would not have the quarterback to send back in return and not necessarily the draft capital to send back in return either. Coming up next, I'm going to be answering your questions here on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. We didn't get our mailbag in on Monday as we normally do with Rob being on vacation. So I'm going to tackle those questions coming up next here on Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by All In Football GM. I'm really geeked up about our new sponsor on today's episode, the mobile game All In Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL general manager like John Schneider and managing your football franchise, your dream can now come true. This game definitely allows you to do that. You manage every strategic aspect of your team, playing through the season, and leading your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators. If you have a Dave Canales leave your staff, you have the responsibility of replacing that coach with a quality successor. You get to trade players, make draft picks, navigate your franchise through free agency in the draft, and all the ups and downs of a season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. I'm currently trying my best to emulate John Schneider and make the most of my draft choices to turn the Honolulu Sharks into a perennial powerhouse. Might have to make a bold trade or two to truly contend for a title moving forward. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want, when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download the game by visiting ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in New Jersey, Texas, or nearby Everett. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We didn't get to your questions as usual on Monday for our mailbag segment, but no concerns, no worries here, 12s. Going to get to your questions still with a special Wednesday mailbag, and we're going to kick things off with our first tweet coming from Xavier. Teams last year had trade interest in Tyler Lockett. Do you think the Seahawks are still in a position to get good value and be without his services next year? So answering the first part of that question, could the Seahawks still get value for Tyler Lockett? Yeah, absolutely they could. And I think one thing that would help if they actually were wanting to do this, they were wanting to move their star receiver. This is a top-heavy 23 draft. This is not a group that has great depth through seven rounds we've seen in most recent draft classes. It feels like every year the receiver group is one of the strong points. This year, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think once you get past the top five or six receivers, there's a steep drop-off and there's not as much depth at that position. And so 
Teams that are looking to bolster their receiving core may be more willing to give up a higher draft pick for a player of Tyler Lockett's caliber. With that being said, the Seahawks are not in a position to withstand his departure if they were going to do that. And obviously, with two first-round picks and two second-round picks, they have the ammunition to go out and draft a really good receiver, one of those guys that's in that upper echelon in this draft class, and they could try to replace Lockett with a young talent that way but there's been questions about the number three receiver for several years running and so why would you get rid of one of your top two receivers you'd also eat a decent dead cap charge if you did that so the chance of Lockett getting moved this offseason I think is less than one percent I think he's got a chance to be one of those rare players that maybe finishes his career with the team that he started with isn't showing any signs of slowing down. Even as he slows down speed-wise, he's such a savvy route runner. I think he's going to remain effective as a receiver well into his 30s. So I don't see the Seahawks making any moves here with Tyler Lockett. Next question from Matt tweets, if Pete Carroll was to describe your elbow injury, would he refer to it as being legit? He absolutely would. Uh, some of you have seen on social media, I, I was – scooping up some snow in the driveway this morning and um, luckily it's not football season because I would probably end up on injured reserve for reporters uh, landed on my hand bracing my hand and my elbow completely hyperextended it it was extremely painful so no idea yet uh, the full severity on the injury but it looks like there's some ligament damage so yeah I think Pete Carroll would probably say that it's legit but the good news is I can still type and I can still do podcasts. So I'm not going to be held back too much by this, even if I can't lift weights and some of the other stuff I want to do for a while. We'll see what happens. Next question from Jason Shepard tweets, what's your over under on the Seahawks trades in the first two rounds? And if we're going to the first two rounds, Jason, I would probably put it squarely at two with John Schneider. I think there's going to be a lot of maneuvering on the draft board this year. A lot of this is going to depend on what happens with those first round picks, though, especially pick number five, because if one of those top two defensive players, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson is there at number five, I don't expect the Seahawks are going to be trading down. They might even try to move up a spot to get one of those players if the situation presents itself. If those two players are gone and there's a top three quarterback available, you may have the Panthers calling, wanting to move up to number five. A couple other teams behind them may want to move up. And then the Seahawks have the ammunition to add extra draft picks, maybe a first-round pick in 2024. And so that would be an ideal situation for John Schneider, too, if one of the players that's in the top five in their big board's not there. So that really is the pick that really I'm most curious to see what the Seahawks do. And we know they'll move up and down in the second round, and they certainly will do it at pick number 20 if they're presented with a good opportunity and the right player that they want at 20 is not there. They have multiple players that they are interested in. They might be willing to trade down a few spots to recoup picks. So I would put it squarely at two, not necessarily over under on. If I had to go over under, I'd say over two, just because of who John Schneider is and having that kind of draft capital and a draft where I think there's going to be quite a bit of movement from teams. Next question from James tweets, I've been seeing Seattle drafting a center and guard in this year's draft on a lot of the mocks. How likely can there be success as an offensive line starting a rookie center and guard with tackles that only have one year under their belt? I think this is an excellent question because I have been one of the people that's been arguing 
You need to bring in a franchise center. You need to upgrade at right guard primarily through the draft. Go get a young player. Maybe Phil Haynes can be brought back to compete against that player. But this does raise a good point. Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas still only have one year under their belt. It's not like they are seasoned, well-established veterans. Austin Blythe really helped in that regard from a communication standpoint. If you move on from Blythe and you put a rookie center in the lineup, regardless how good that player is, there is some risk there from a leadership and experience standpoint. Damian Lewis would be the elder statesman on that offensive line if you replace Gabe Jackson and Phil Haynes at right guard with a rookie. Lewis would be the old man entering year four, and obviously he's played a lot more snaps than the other players, but that would be something to keep an eye on if you just go all out youth moving to the offensive line, and maybe that would be a reason why the Seahawks would bring back Austin Blythe at least to start the season with him as the starter before the rookie is ready, or they could do the same thing at right guard. But we'll see what happens. Ultimately, they need to get younger and they need to get better in the interior of their offensive line. The best way to do that, especially with all the draft picks they have, is going to be coming up in the draft. So we'll see what happens. I could see them signing a veteran in the interior, or that could just simply be bringing back Blythe to couple with young guys because of that concern about going too young and having too little experience up front. That is a real concern at the same time. Talent is talent, and you want to bring in the best players you can. Best chance for the Seahawks to do that is through the draft. Damian J tweets, what does Jamal Adams have to do this year to make it worth keeping him beyond 2023? We can save a bunch of money pulling the plug next spring. That is very true. The Seahawks would have a lot more flexibility to move on from him next year. This year, they would have a $3 million dead cap hit if they did anything with Jamal Adams. And his guarantees are coming up on February 17th. So he is going to be on this roster next season. But 2024... I think he's going to have to go out, not only show he's healthy, but he's got to show that he can still be the game record that the Seahawks thought they were bringing in and really what he was his first year here. Nine and a half sacks, a defensive backs record. He had two picks in three games before he hurt his shoulder in 2021, so he was making strides that season as well. You need the all-pro caliber Jamal Adams to return at the price that you were paying him. He can't just come back and stay on the field and be ineffective. He has got to be a top-tier safety to justify what you were paying him. So no pressure there. I mean, Jamal Adams knows that. He knows that the Seahawks have extremely high expectations, but he's got to be able to stay on the field. And when he is out there, he has got to return to his all-pro form because he's getting paid as such. So yeah, no pressure, but that's what the Seahawks need out of him. If he does not return to form or he battles more injuries this next season, then I think they're going to have a really difficult decision to make there. And certainly they could decide, you know what, this major investment just didn't work out. The best teams move on when they need to from decisions that don't pan out. The Seahawks could do that next offseason. Astrologer tweets, what do you think about Tyree Wilson's get off at the line of scrimmage? How should it affect his pass rushing potential in the NFL and ideal draft positioning? I think for a 275-pound edge rusher, he's got great burst upfield. He is not going to be compared to, say, a Von Miller in the NFL. But at his size, he doesn't have to necessarily have that kind of burst. I would say Daryl Taylor type burst is not even on the table, but he doesn't need to be that kind of player. My biggest concern with Tyree Wilson is just establishing more pass rush encounters and being more consistent with his hands, because honestly, that's the biggest thing that I've seen on the film. I think the athleticism is there for him to win as a speed rusher, to win turning speed into power. He's got the complete package there. It's just going to be refining counter moves and establishing 
establishing a better pass rushing plan going against NFL tackles, and that takes some time. But I think this is a guy that can come in and play for the Seahawks or whoever drafts him right away. I think he's got some scheme versatility as well at his size with his athleticism. So I don't view that as a big concern for him coming into the league. I think he's got plenty of berth to do damage as a pass rusher to go with that six foot six, 275-pound frame. Panda Ombre tweets, love the name, by the way, is the leading sack producer for the Seahawks next year already on the roster or will it be a draft pick free agent? I am very confident that that player is already on the roster because I don't see the Seahawks making any splashy signings in free agency or trades to bring in a top tier pass rusher. Lieutenant Nuosu and Daryl Taylor both had nine and a half sacks apiece last year. I think Boye Mafe is going to take a big leap for this year. Not a big enough leap where he's going to lead the team in sacks, but I expect that he's going to be a far bigger factor rushing the passer. I think Nuosu or Taylor is going to lead the team in sacks next season, especially with the way Taylor played down the stretch. If you upgrade your interior defensive line with players that better fit your scheme, I think both those guys are going to see an even bigger uptick in their production. It's going to help all of Seattle's pass rushers. And so I think the player is already on the roster, even if they end up drafting Will Anderson at pick number five, if somehow he falls there and they draft him, I would not put money on him leading the team in sacks. I think he could be an impact player right away, but I think Nuosu and Taylor, both of them showed last year that they have the talent to be top 10 pass rushers. Nuosu was good, was good against the run as well. Taylor, not so much, but these two two guys can get after the quarterback. And so those would be the two that I would hedge bets on having the best chance to lead this team in sacks. They're already on the roster. One last question coming from Mark Matter tweets, why don't the Seahawks win postseason awards such as rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, et cetera? Well, I listen, I know that a lot of fans in the Pacific Northwest think it's location. I see plenty of people tweeting at me, well, nobody cares about South Alaska, things like that. I do not think that these selections are impacted, at least in 2023, by geography. And the Seahawks have been one of the best teams in the NFL for the past decade plus. They've consistently been in the playoffs year in, year out, very rarely been left out of the field in January competing for Super Bowls. And yes, the playoff success has not been there in recent years, but still this franchise has become a brand. So I don't think it has anything to do with that. And you look at the awards this year, you can understand why the two Jets rookies won those awards. Garrett Wilson had horrible quarterbacks throwing to him, and he still had over 1,100 receiving yards. I know the touchdown numbers weren't there. I personally voted for Ken Walker III on the Pro Football Writers Association ballot as Offensive Rookie of the Year, but I don't have a beef about Garrett Wilson winning it, and I certainly don't have a beef about Sauce excuse me, Sauce Gardner beating out Tariq Woolen or even Aiden Hutchinson. I thought Woolen would finish second in that one, but Hutchinson had really good numbers on a team that looks to be an ascending contender in the Detroit Lions. So I don't feel like there's any media bias that is impacting this. I don't think it's East Coast bias. You know, and Geno Smith got comeback player of the year, so we can't say the Seahawks didn't get represented in the awards this year. They did get one of the major awards, Geno Smith getting comeback player of the year. So I understand why fans are upset at the same time. I don't think that it's near as big of a deal, and I don't think it's the East Coast bias that a lot of fans seem to think that it is. Coming up next, going to continue our free agent primers going over to the defensive side of the football. Cody Barton started the majority of the games with the Seahawks this season, racked up over 125 tackles. Did he do enough? 
to justify re-signing him in free agency. I'll take a look at his pending free agency up next year on the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three-pointers drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player double parlays. For example, you can make a big bet on D'Angelo Russell going for 20 or more points for the Lakers on Wednesday night at plus 210. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. Whether this is your first time listening to our podcast or you are a diehard regular listener, we greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks have several notable free agents that will be set to hit the market when the new league year opens next month on March 15th to be exact. One of those players on the defensive side of the football is former third round pick Cody Barton, who his first three seasons primarily was a special teams player with Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, and Jordan Brooks getting the bulk of the snaps and linebacker. He did get a few spot starts his rookie season as well as a second and third season, but mostly was a special teams guy with Bobby Wagner getting released last March. However, he finally got his opportunity to start. And you look at the numbers that Cody Barton put up this past season, he had over 125 tackles on the season, was very productive from that standpoint. And unlike Jordan Brooks, you can make an argument that he made more impact plays, particularly in coverage. He had two interceptions, four pass breakups, and from week nine till the end of the season, this is for the critics of Cody Barton out there. He was in the top five among linebackers in passer rating against and he was first overall giving up just 6.7 yards per attempt in coverage. Again, that was week nine till the end of the season. Cody Barton was as good as any linebacker in coverage, and that shouldn't necessarily be a surprise because you look at his background, this kid was actually a safety when he went to Utah and then converted to linebacker. So he already has that coverage experience from being a safety. He is a plus athlete for the position. You can see that with him chasing players down. There's two plays this year that stand out to me, and they were the bookends. Week one and week one for the Broncos winning attempt. He stuffed a screen that set up a fourth and long, and it forced the Broncos to attempt that long field goal that ended up not being good and allowed the Seahawks to win by one point. You could see the pursuit and the instincts there. And then in week 18, a critical third down play early in the game. Geno Smith threw a pick on Seattle's first offensive play. The Rams were in the red zone right away. They held him to three points, though, because Cam Akers was not able to turn the corner and get a step on Barton. Barton hunted him down, perfect pursuit angle, and stopped him short of the first down marker. They had to settle for a field goal in a game that went to overtime. That was a critical stop. So those are the kind of clutch plays that we saw from Cody Barton on and off during the season. And he had two sacks. He had two interceptions. So certainly there were some flashy plays. 
The biggest problem with Barton is his lack of size and inability to consistently get off blocks. And I think in a 3-4 scheme or a hybrid 3-4 scheme, like the Seahawks ran last season or wanting to run moving forward under defensive coordinator Clint Hurt, you want to have linebackers that are a little bit bigger that can thump people and they can get off blocks. And that was not something that Barton was able to consistently do this year. I did think that he did a better job of getting off blocks in the second half of the season. He was around the football more. I thought we saw some improvements. And people have to remember, this is a kid that didn't start very many games in the NFL his first three seasons, and he didn't get a lot of defensive reps because Bobby Wagner was out there every play. Jordan Brooks was out there every play. His rookie year, K.J. Wright was out there every play. And so he has not played that many snaps in the NFL. He's mostly been a special teams guy. He was learning on the fly in year four because of that limited experience that he had in his first three seasons. And so we saw progress, particularly in the run defense. I didn't think that he played well in the playoff game, unfortunately, and that left a bad taste in the mouth of fans. And I think if Jordan Brooks was healthy right now, he wasn't recovering from a torn ACL. This would be a much tougher decision for the Seahawks because I don't know necessarily that Cody Barton is a great scheme fit. I don't know how much higher his ceiling is as a player, even though he's only 26. I don't know how much better he is going to get. What does that ceiling look like? And that may dictate what the Seahawks choose to do here. If Jordan Brooks was healthy, it would be a little easier for them to be able to say, you know what? We liked what you did last season, Cody Barton. It's time, though, for us to bring in a young linebacker or two to the draft, maybe looking free agency for a veteran that's got some experience, a little bigger body, fits our scheme better. But with Jordan Brooks potentially missing a big chunk of 2023, coming off a torn ACL that he suffered in week 17 and just had surgery a few weeks on, a weeks ago on, I think that changes things significantly. I don't think the Seahawks want to go into next year without Barton or Brooks and just breaking in two new starters at middle linebacker. I don't think that they're interested in doing that at all, and I can get it. You want to have a player who can have that green dot in the helmet that knows the defense. And Cody Barton, I thought, played better the last couple games when he moved over to the position that Jordan Brooks was playing. So maybe that's what the Seahawks envisioned him doing. I would see this being a one-year contract, maybe somewhat similar to what they gave Rashad Penny last year for different reasons. Penny was mostly because he's had injury issues. This would be because you've got one year as a starter. We're not necessarily sure if you're a long-term guy. We're going to give you another year to see if you fit in our future plans. So I anticipate that's probably what the Seahawks are going to try to sell to Cody Barton. I don't know what the market's going to look like for him in free agency. He is a younger player. He does fit 4-3 defenses better than 3-4 defenses. There may be a number of teams that feel they're a better fit for his strengths, and maybe he'll just decide to take his talents elsewhere. But I think with the Brooks injury, this is going to be a higher priority for the Seahawks moving into the offseason, trying to ensure that Cody Barton is under contract in 2023. And of course, they can go out and draft a linebacker to team up with him. And when Jordan Brooks gets back at some point in 2023, depending how Barton plays, how the rookie plays, if the rookie's ready to step in on day one, Tanner Muse might be your starter early. He played well at the end of last season. There's a lot of moving parts here, but you could end up in a scenario where Cody Barton isn't playing and the rookie's playing a lot of snaps with Jordan Brooks once he comes back. If Barton plays well, you know those two can play well together. they got a ton of experience working alongside each other this year. So I don't view this as a situation where unless Cody Barton suddenly gets thrown a lot of money from another team, I don't think that's going to happen. 
I think he's going to be affordable. I would anticipate the Seahawks can re-sign him on a one-year deal, and I think they need him more now than they would have if Jordan Brooks would not have suffered that injury late in the season. So certainly going to be an interesting storyline to watch as they head toward free agency. If Geno Smith gets a big contract, as everybody expects, there's not going to be a ton of extra money in free agency, and maybe Barton becomes expendable in that sense. But again, I don't see the Seahawks wanting to go into next year with Brooks sidelined for several games and Barton being gone. You don't want to bust in two brand new starters. And this does not have to be a long-term play. You can draft a linebacker or even two if you want to from a long-term standpoint. You can use free agency and look for bargains from that standpoint too. But in short term, they'd like to have at least one of those guys on the field early in the season that knows the defense. And I think that's going to make Cody Barton one of the top priorities for the Seahawks among their own free agents to re-sign next month. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on all major podcast platforms as well as five days a week streaming video form on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, the Seahawks learned a lot watching this past Super Bowl. What did it say about what should be their biggest priority heading into the offseason, improving their roster? And we're going to look at the interior offensive line end of season report cards for centers and guards. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.